Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, good evening, my dear friends, fans, and colleagues, no matter where you are and when you're listening. Welcome back to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. And if you're new to the show, I'm Karen Tate, and uh, here my guests and I discuss sex, power, gender, religion, politics, uh, with a broad spectrum of visionaries and forward thinkers, women and men, from a right brain, some say divine feminine point of view. Uh, Actually, some might not even realize that they and their ideas and values fit comfortably under the goddess umbrella. Some call these ideas and values the feminine consciousness or the shift away from uh, patriarchal domination to help us manifest a much-needed new normal. These are issues that could uh, raise your consciousness or some say maybe even save the world. And, you know, uh, it's all the stuff maybe mom told you not to talk about at the dinner table. Never, never, never discuss uh, some of these topics. But I say, you know, fear not, taste the forbidden fruit, because we need to rethink everything. We need to reclaim and embrace age-old knowledge that's been denied us for too long. Uh, Let's have our voices heard. Let's uh, come together and change the world. Unlock your transformational toolkit and empower yourself as you learn long-hidden truths from your home altar to the voting booth. Learn with denying the feminine face of God, deity, archetype, or ideals and values has cost humanity, particular women, particularly women. And today, um, I think our topic fits under that umbrella. It uh, uh, comes under that idea of information that's been held back from us, but is uh, starting to... um, Uh, be heard and seen by more and more people. Uh, Today I have with me, returning to the show for part two of our interview, uh, Stephen Gray, and we're going to be talking more about psychedelics, uh, but this time our topic is going to go into the areas of the different products, processes, um, even some of the dangers, and uh, we'll talk about if this is, um, uh, you know, these sacred medicines, if they're having a renaissance. Uh, so Stephen is a teacher and a writer on spiritual subjects and sacramental medicines. Uh, he's worked extensively with Tibetan Buddhism, the Native American Church, and with ethnogenic uh, medicines. He's also uh, conference and workshop organizer, a leader and speaker, and uh, his most recent book out there, which uh, all of you know, both of our conversations have been based on, is the anthology "How Psychedelics Can Help Save the World." He also has another book out called "Cannabis." and spirituality, and he lives in Vancouver. So Stephen Gray, uh, welcome back to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thanks, Karen. I'm happy to be here. And by the way, I really liked your intro. 
I mean, not to uh, me, well, the, uh, your introductory remarks about what you're doing. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I, I've, uh, coming from a place in the United States, you know, coming from the South, where so many of these topics were taboo, uh, you know, I, I learned as an adult, uh, it serves no one but the status quo uh, to keep um, information from people uh, to, um, you know, to have an uneducated public. And, uh, you know, we look at the book bans that are going on in some of the states, uh, oh, uh, you know, being pushed yeah. by Republicans. And, uh, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I'm just curious, has this topic been one um, that's on any of these book ban lists, to your knowledge? I mean, maybe not necessarily your book, but books about uh, sacred hallucinogens or well, not to not to my knowledge. I'm, I'm guessing it's because they don't know about them. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they haven't found these books yet. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Well, um, as I said, uh, you know, this is our part two, and for listeners maybe who are coming in on part two and didn't know about part one, uh, you can look back. Uh, on blog talk um, and uh, you know at my site and the other uh, show aired in February and we're not going to recover that material but I would encourage listeners to go back and uh, you know maybe catch that to sort of round out the uh, the conversation if they're interested or uh, check um, my social media or Stephen Gray's social media and uh, you'll be able to find links to the shows uh, but today Stephen and I decided we were going to talk about um, some of the specific great medicines, and uh, that's where we'll start. Um, So, Stephen, um, I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh, Tell us about some of these specific uh, great medicines and their unique uh, unique capabilities. Uh huh. Well, uh, first of all, just a quick uh, sort of side note, which is that there there are a lot of um, mind-altering plants uh, that you might call psychedelic or entheogenic that have not really that aren't well known that are in different parts of the planet. So I'm not going to talk about any of those. Most of them I don't know anyway. But you know, for example. there's um, I, I'm, I, I can never be sure I'm pronouncing this word exactly correctly. It's oluluqui. It's a seed that comes from morning glory, I believe, um, and uh, it has some of the same. I think it's quite similarly similar chemically to LSD. Um, so most people don't know about that. It's uh, I believe it's well known in certain ancient traditions, uh, indigenous traditions in Mexico. But let's go through the ones that are sort of most common common these days. You know, this is going to have to be pretty brief. So let's start with ayahuasca because it's probably the that one and psilocybin mushrooms are the most commonly used these days, I believe, um, by the most people in the most places on the planet. <clears throat> so ayahuasca, uh, this is primer materials, you know, for those that aren't particularly familiar with the details of it. Uh, it probably probably has been around forever. Uh, certainly the Spanish, when they got to South America about 500 years ago, uh, found that indigenous people all over the place were already using ayahuasca. Um, one thing that's unique and interesting uh, to many people uh, that are interested in these things about ayahuasca is it's not one plant or substance. It's not a, it's not one you know fungus or one plant. It's 
a combination of two or at least two, but typically two. And neither one of them function uh, orally on their own particularly. One of them is a climbing vine known as Benisteriopsis capi. And um, it has apparently a, on its own a mild psychoactive effect. Um, but the one with the real punch, as you, you might say, is uh, a uh, DMT-containing plant, um, typically uh, Chacruna, uh, also known as Psychotria viridis. Um, but the really interesting thing about that one is that uh, that combination is that the um, we have I don't want to get too technical here because I've got to go through a few more but I'll try to keep it brief um, uh, we have something in our stomachs called monoamine oxidate oxidize or something I think that's it anyway uh, which uh, uh, makes the oral ingestion of a DMT containing plant like Chacruna inactive but this is where the magic comes in. The, the, uh, the vine has an MAO, a monoamine oxidase uh, um, inhibitor, which then allows the DMT-containing plant to go and do its thing. So that's pretty remarkable in itself. And apparently, as I understand it at least, people all over the Amazon spread thousands of miles apart, independently discovered this combination of the two plants. And by the way, it's just a sort of a, another little sidebar note, uh, for the, you know, continuance or the forward development of this, uh, you know, as they call it now, psychedelic renaissance, um, what these ind in indigenous people would say is that if you don't include the spirit and the voice of spirit and the understanding of spirit in the working and the use of these medicines, you're missing a major component of what makes them valuable and effective. So they would say that, oh, well, the spirits told us, the spirits of other plants told us, go find this combination of two. So I'm not sure exactly what to say in a brief time about the effects of ayahuasca. Uh, it, it, it can be quite varied. It can, uh, there, it, it's almost like it opens you up to the angel and demon haunted uh, worlds in a sense or potentially. And as a more important or say important uh, kind of overarching um, principle for working with any of these medicines, the, the more protective, protected, safe, uh, skillful, ethical, etc. the container that you do the medicine in, uh, the, the less likely you're ever going to run into any, uh, quote, demonic or negative energies. But they can, you know, if you accept the principle that there are independent um, uh, entities that are not incarnated but can be uh, evoked or accessed through the use of these medicines, then they're not all benign necessarily, you know. I don't want to scare people, but I'm just pointing out that uh, having a safe, effective container can be really important. Um, for example, now I'm switching medicines for a second, but um, uh, I used to go to a lot of Native American church peyote prayer ceremonies, and they told me they never had problematic energies coming in. They never had, you know, dark energies coming into that teepee because they held such a powerful protective container in that teepee that I, I won't explain how it's done, but they did. Um, so similarly with ayahuasca. So what ayahuasca can do is it can, it can show you, um, and this is, they're not all that different really, these medicines. That's why they're all under the rubric of psychedelic in a sense and why they can be of such value is that they do similar things. And, and one of those things is that they can show you the truths of, of your own sort of um, emotional, psychological 
history that you need to open up, release, or bring up into the light and release and heal. They can show you that sometimes literally by, in a sense, taking you back to your childhood or the places where you got off the path, as it were, you know. Um, but they can also show you um, the what you might call eternal truth of the divine you know, kind of nature of create of the creative source or whatever the, you know, all those words that we never know quite what we're talking about when we say things like God or the creator or whatever, um, mm-hmm. you, you know, ayahuasca can tune you, open you up into those realms, but it, it can also, you know, and this is not necessarily from personal experience myself, but certainly from, you know, lots of reports and people I've talked to, you can go, you know, Apparently, you can go just about anywhere. Um, one of the things that's interesting about ayahuasca, and I'm not quite, this may be not exactly unique, but somewhat special to ayahuasca. Uh, there's a guy named Peter Gorman, for example, who's written about it. And he was working with, he'd been working with ayahuasca for some 25 years. And he said, when you really get to know this, this plant, you know, you're talking, you're dealing with an entity, you're dealing with a spirit. Um, and you you don't have to, you're, it's not like you're, you know, just this wee little thing that's being, you know, cast about in, the, in, in these other realms. You can have an equal one-to-one relationship with this once you really get to know it. And then you can um, ask it things. You can say, well, show me, you know, this about the history of humanity or show me this about life on other planets or whatever. And according to Peter Gorman, ayahuasca can do that if that's what you're interested in. My personal interest, and I think this is the most important thing for humanity, is is the healing parts, the awakening parts, without necessarily going off into these wild other realms. But yes, you wanted to ask a question, Karen. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, you you're uh, you're teasing me with all sorts of ideas and uh, questions, and and what you've been saying. So, uh, the two that two questions that have come up for me. Number one is, you alluded to the plants speaking to people. I assume during a shamanic experience or something, but that's almost like, well, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? They had to have known to put those two um, plants together to have the experience, Mm -hmm. I would imagine. Um, But talk a little bit more about um, the plants speaking to us. And then, uh, you know, the other bigger point of, you know, you said we, we can ask these entities the big questions, uh, I guess, you know, because you've done a lot of research in this, um, what are some of the answers to some of the big questions? <laughs> I don't know. I'm laughing because it, I feel like it would almost be, uh, you know, hubris beyond measure to to try to say that, you know, I, I've got the answers or whatever, you know. Um, no, I, I think it's I think it's a simple in certain respects. Um, you know, conceptually, so to speak, um, uh, you know, that when you, when you tap into these states, okay, so here's one way of putting it. And this is, again, we're not talking about now going through the individual ones because potentially a number of these medicines can do that. Um, You can have experiences that people often refer to as coming home or aha experiences where you go, yes, this is, this is the true nature of reality. Um, I've had those experiences on psychedelics. Um, for example, you know, I'm talking about peyote with the Native American church. Uh, it's really, 
you know, in the in the way that they use it, I think Peyote can have other um, capabilities in some respects. But the way that, as I understand it, uh, from my experience, that it's been used in the Native American Church Peyote prayer ceremonies in a teepee. It's an all-night ceremony. It's really just about getting real. It's about connecting to the heart of life, to the heart of the universe, as it were. It's not particularly about having, you know, literal vision, visual experience, particularly. In fact, in that environment, you don't even close your eyes much of the time because you'll miss something. There's so much going on all night. There's prayers happening. There's songs going on throughout the night. There's special little things that happen at different times of the night. But, for example, um, uh, one, one, one night, it was actually just about dawn. Usually there's something going on. But in this particular case, there was a little break for some reason, and we're all just sitting in silence. And um, I just had this relatively brief experience of where time stopped, and I just sunk into this pure peace. You know, when, when, when supposedly Jesus talked about the peace that passes all understanding, I think that's real from, you know, based on these glimpses that I've had and, you know, what other people talk about as well. Just had this moment where it's like there's, there's, there is no time in a sense. This is the now that people are always talking about, and it's and it's and it's it's incredible. It's it's beyond belief, beyond comprehension, and it's um and it's infused with love. So you know, this is why the hippies came up with peace and love in the same sentence because they are in a sense the same thing in that way. The pure, the purity or the ultimate sense of what love is, as I understand it, is is also pure peace. Um, so, um, yeah, I don't know. Do you want, do you want to come in with another question? Well, and I would imagine, well, well, let me just comment on that. I mean, uh, and tell me if I'm correct, you know, getting to be able to get to that place, um, am I right to assume that's why, uh, these hallucinogens are starting to be looked at, uh, to help with mental health disorders? That's a good part of it. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, the way I often like to talk about it, uh, the it or they, I mean, is, um, excuse me, that they have two um, harmoniously interwoven functions in a sense, just for a sake of, you know, description. One is this truth serum quality that I mentioned, you know, that they show you, uh, they can show you. uh, Okay, let me use the example of the Native American church again. The peyote medicine is legal. It's been approved at the highest level of Congress for use by Native Americans. Um, and, and a good part of that reason, not the only part, but a good part of that reason is because they were able to demonstrate that people who'd been in deep doo-doo, you know, that had been um, suffering from addictions and maybe in trouble with the law, all kinds of, their life was just off the rails, not going anywhere good, would come into that teepee and the peyote would show them the truth of who they are both as their problematic side and what their capability is of healing. And in a sense, the peyote says, look, you're on a path to destruction, my friend, um, but you don't have to go there. You can go this way, and people do. And so there's an immense amount of healing that comes out of that, and so it's been approved by um, you know, Congress for that, that purpose. So it's I don't know it's 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 quite remarkable what these substances can do in terms of uh, of healing. So they can show you the truth about their self, you, yourself, and they can show you the bigger truth 
around that, you, you may be familiar, Karen, or I don't know if you are, or maybe your listeners might not be, or um, whatever, of the work that they've been doing at uh, universities like Johns Hopkins, uh, going back even into the early 2000s, where they have these very carefully designed clinical trials, studies, etc., and they've taken one of them that had produced remarkable results, got written up positively in New York Times and all these places, um, was with uh, terminal cancer patients. And what they found was that um, a good, with psilocybin mushrooms, I mean, and uh, with a goodly proportion of those people, they had what they self-defined as a mystical experience. And the ones that had the most mystical experiences were the ones who changed their attitude the most about their, their um, impending uh, you know, death from cancer and just turned around completely. And essentially, as I understand it, why that happened was because they, they were brought into um, this loving, creative universe, uh, a cosmos that we're all embedded in, but are you know, generally not aware of. And um, they recognize that it's all okay. You know, it's okay if they die. Everybody dies, but in a sense, we're never outside of that. It's all um, an eternal creative process that we're all on some level part of. And so it's okay. And, you know, they don't have to worry about the fact that they're going to die sooner than later. So, you know, they have the medicines have that potential quite remarkably. Um, they mm-hmm. also, in for these similar ways, uh, can be very helpful with depression and anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, etc. Okay. Um, well, to get back to the question about um, do the plants really talk, um, how do you answer that? Uh, yes. Well, to be honest, my my direct experience with with that is limited, but not non-existent. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, so I'll give you a, a brief anecdote, and this is just my own personal experience. Um, <clears throat> and again, there are people that have gone a lot farther and a lot deeper than me in that regard. Um, uh, the most powerful ayahuasca experience—this has happened more than once—but the most powerful ayahuasca experience I ever had, um, I felt presences. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a woo-woo person. I'm not prone to that kind of stuff, you know. Um, particularly, you know, I'm, I'm a bit thick-headed of anything about having experiences in sort of completely other realms of, you know, par- the paranormal, you might call it, right? But there were there was a sense of presence. I say presences. It didn't feel like a being. It, fe- it felt like a collective somehow. Um, and I, I felt them there. And I said, well, who are you? <laughs> um, you know, in my mind, telepathically, right? And the answer came back. Uh, not what we are, but what we do was the was 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 the nature of the answer. And the answer was, um, oh, we offer love. It's unlimited, and the only decision in your life that you have to make is how much of it to accept. You know, hmm. so there's that kind of thing. Um, there's actually a chapter in the in the in my book, uh, How Psychedelics Can Help Save the World by Michael Stewart Annie, uh, which the title of it has something in, in it about talking plants. And what Michael says is that, yes, these plants are teachers. They will talk to you. You can communicate with them, but uh, you have to learn how to be able to do that. A lot of people um, who are working or experimenting at the sort of, you might say, the 101 level or something like that with psychedelics, 
Um, uh, there's a lot of, depending on which one, like psilocybin can do this and ayahuasca, a lot of color, a lot of you know powerful visions of all kinds and stuff. And as Michael says, that that's actually the plants throwing up a kind of an obscuration to to say, oh yeah, look at all the bright lights, all the beautiful colors, and all you know wonderful scenes and all this. But really, the truth or the, the, the real benefit of the, the plants is when you go beyond that, when you've learned how to go beyond all that sort of like sensational stuff and go into the realm where there actually are teachers, you know, spirit teachers. And then that's where you really start to develop and learn and benefit mm. others when you're, the, when you're the ceremonial leader, by the way. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, I can't help but think, um, you know, hearing you talk about this um, this doorway, in a way, you know, it's this, um, mm-hmm. you know, this doorway that we can cross over to um, to fix ourselves, to, um, you know, maybe find our authentic self, to learn where we've possibly gone astray and alternatives to the wrong turn, so to speak, uh, maybe even the nature of the universe. Um, it, you know, it just makes me think how foolish uh, humanity really is when they spend so much mm-hmm. of their time on, um, on, on, on ridiculous stuff, you know, on hate, mm-hmm. on, you know, um, uh, you know defending mm-hmm. AR-15s and, uh, uh, oh, you know, worrying about drag shows or keeping, mm-hmm. you know, books uh, that, uh, you know, talk about brown and black people out of the hands of children. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's mm-hmm. really insane, I think, and so short-sighted and ignorant, really. Mm-hmm. Um, that mm-hmm. this isn't something more people are looking into rather than wasting their mm-hmm. time with, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, I guess the easiest way to say it is with so much hate and uh, divisiveness. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, boy, that's such a big and important question, Karen. Um, you know, I could, I could talk for an hour easily about that um, or explore it with you. Uh, let me see if I can squeeze it down to 47 and a half words or something like that. Um, okay. Uh, I'm going to try. Um, <clears throat> so uh, here's one way of looking at all that stuff, that you, that behavior that you just talked about. Um, the universe is far or the, the reality, unconditional reality, is far more powerful than anything we've come up with in our individual lives, which is what Buddhists, for example, would call ego the illusion of a separate self, but we created that separate self throughout our whole lives. And many people would say over a a large number of previous lives, but for, you know, real terms, in a sense, we know that we've been doing this since we were born, almost putting together a little um, sort of package, a little configuration of, of an identity. And we do that to try to feel like we can handle this overwhelming world where, you know, nobody actually really knows what's going on. Lots of people try and they'll tell you, oh, it's like this or it's like this or it's like this, but we don't really know. I mean, my God, we're living, we're living on this planet floating around a ball of fire. And how is that even possible? You know, I mean, I could go on forever talking about the absolutely magical, amazing quality of what life altogether is how does it even exist you know it's overwhelming so people are always trying to bite off something that makes them feel safe 
And then the, so that's a starting point. But then the other thing that's going on these days that a lot of people don't recognize is, and this is a big part of what the book is about and what's going on on this planet altogether, is that we have reached a nexus point on this planet. We have reached a turning point. Um, one of the chapters in the book is called the turning of the soil. You know, that it's like the, 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 the karmic roosters have come home, you know. And so... Uh, all of the way that things have been done, many of the ways that things, the status quo, the traditions, they're all changing and they're collapsing in front of people's eyes, whether they're paying attention, you know, consciously in a sense or not. And if you're not able to um, surrender, if you're not able to relax, if you're not able to move with change, if you're not able to open with change, you know, like people trying to identify themselves in ways that are not typically conventionally, traditionally binary, for example, you know, LGBT, LGBTQ, trans, etc. You know, like people are trying to be themselves, discover themselves. But a lot of people is like, oh, my God, that is so threatening to my traditional way of seeing the world. Um, and so if you are resisting change, then um, you have to create a whole bunch of illusions. You have to create enemies. You have to create other. You have to other people, right? Uh, using it as a verb in that sense. Um, and so, uh, yeah, and it's fear-based. That's the key there. It's, it's all fear-based. And every great teacher will always tell you fear is an illusion that has to be seen through. You know, there was a guy, forgot his name, he says the opposite of love is fear, right? You know, pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. The opposite of love is fear. And so we... You know, uh, those of us that are on the path, and really, ideally, that would be billions of us at this point on the planet, um, need to uh, uh, start developing, if we haven't already, a sense of um, observation of our minds and allowing stuff like fear to dissolve. Just it's a long path, but that's what we have to do. Um, and And then for those of us that do understand something about that, uh, you know, stay humble, but communicate, educate. You know, that's why I've done this book is because I, I you know, I think what's happening, well, I know what's happening. I, I, I believe I know what's happening, not because I made it up, because it's, it's what everybody who's tuned in, like the psychonauts, the mystics, or, you know, just common sense even tells you that we're going through an unprecedented period of transformation on this planet. But um, it could be very scary for a lot of people. So the, the wildness and the weirdness that you were talking about can get worse. So the message needs to go out that there's a reason why this is happening. You can't have healing without addressing the wounds, right? Um, and, there's, mm-hmm. and, and there is this potential. You have to be optimistic or you're screwed. <laughs> this is the message. You know, even Noam Chomsky has said this. You know, Optimism is not an illusion. It's not a romantic illusion. If you're not optimistic about the potential, then you're not going to act. You're not going to be part of this, the, the healing, the solution, and all that. So, um, And the medicines, just to round back to that, obviously we're not going to get going through all of them. That's okay. I don't... I think this is just going organically. Um, the medicines, these medicines, these psychedelic medicines, they're here because they, they are our most powerful tools. They're not for everybody, um, and they can be misused. They can be dangerous um, if not done correctly or safely in the right kind of environment. But when they are, 
they have immense potential and they're here to help. And I think it's no coincidence, not just a random you know, historical development that there is this renaissance going on and they're becoming destigmatized and all that. They have immense potential for a planet that really needs it now. We're just, we're, the flatland days are over. We're going into a period of change. Right. <clears throat> well, and, um, you know, you're making me think uh, to a certain extent about um, how, you know, these drugs have been repressed um, uh, or suppressed. Uh, the sacred feminine has been suppressed, mm-hmm. um, you know, often, you know, violently. Uh, women and women's mm-hmm. wisdom uh, has been rejected. You know, and I think back to, you know, some theories about, um, you know, how we shifted from the sacred feminine and ended up with patriarchy. And some people mm-hmm. think that it was, uh, I'm going to say just man as a catch-all phrase, you know, uh, it was mm-hmm. man's fear of the cycle of life uh, because sacred feminine, rep, you know, you know uh, represented, uh, you know, birth, life, death, rebirth, And, you know, that's Mm -hmm. pretty powerful knowledge, you know, and I think that lends itself to examining our place in the universe, our our thread in the Mm -hmm. cosmic web, so to speak. And, um, you know, people who would try to capitalize on uh, people's fears rather than their expansion and their evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can, I don't know, it, it's just so clear to me that they would want to suppress all of this because they benefit Absolutely. from our ignorance. They benefit from our fear mm-hmm. and and what the fear creates, you know. Yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, um, so, we're going to no, take a break. Completely. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, go ahead. You finish your comment, and then we'll take a break. No, no, no. Go ahead. Take a break. No, I'll, I'll try to remember this line of thinking for when we come back. No, 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 no. No, I insist. You, you, and uh, I don't want you to forget. Oh well, <laughs> I may have to go on for a while, and you may have to interrupt me. Um, uh, <clears throat> yeah, no, I I agree completely. And and once, well, I could say a whole bunch of things about what you said, but I'll just say this one, try and keep it brief, so you can take your break, your commercial break. Um, there was a novelist named Hubert Selby Jr. If I remember correctly, he wrote a book that got very popular way back in the fifties called Last Exit to Brooklyn. Um, and had an immense amount of success, success with that book, but then had like a 30-year period of heroin addiction, or I think something like that. This is loosely remembered now. But um, I read an interview with him after he'd healed, come back from that, and he said, here's the, here's the one word that is the most important word that I've learned, control. This is what everybody is trying to do, is trying to control life. And so... You, uh, by by contr- by attempting to control others, it's a psychological function whereby you think by doing that you can control life, but you can't. But that's what they're doing, you know. And that's what's been going on for a couple of thousand years, which is a whole fascinating topic itself. Uh, really, is that you know the the people that are afraid of this, what you call the cycle of life, that's a lovely way of putting it, I think. But just you know, as I said earlier, this sort of sense of the, the majesty and the unknown and the vastness uh, of, of, of the universe altogether, um, uh, it's too much for people. You know, they want to 
bite it down to this little manageable thing. And one way you do that um, is by, if you think you can control the world around you, if you have the potential to do that because you're a leader of government or religion or whatever, then you do that. Um, and so that's what's created this problem. And it does, as you say, it's, involved, it's shut down anything that is a voice of freedom uh, or a voice of uh, uh, wisdom in that sense. So the sacred feminine, which, you know, we could talk about for a long time if we had the time, because that was quite present. You know, feminine energy was guiding a lot of the spiritual work prior to the time of, uh, of Jesus. Um, there was a lot of that going on in Europe and the Middle East and Asia and so on and so on. Um, and that's the same thing of shutting down uh, the wisdom that comes through these medicines because they're counter to control. And the same thing that's been, that has been shutting down or suppressing, as you say, Native, uh, no, I was going to say Native American, but indigenous people all over the world who had this sort of uh, grounded, uh, earth-connected, embedded uh, understanding of who they were in the world, you know? Right. Well, and I can't think of anything more scary for the controllers, and I'm using air quotes here, mm-hmm. the controllers, whether they be in you know religion or government, than for mm-hmm. humanity to wake up and go, you know what, you are irrelevant, you are obsolete. Uh, I mean, you know, and that's yeah. not to say we would want chaos and, you know, because, uh, I don't know, you know, it's kind of scary to think that there would be a power vacuum and who who might fill that, you know, that could be, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know that, that, that could be a problem that would have to get worked out. But, um, but yeah, I can, I can see where uh, it would be very difficult for uh, the controllers to wake up one day and suddenly um, – you know, there's there's no more for them to do. I mean, almost like the same idea <laughs> of the priests, uh, you know, uh, I mean, because mm-hmm. priests were irrelevant, I think, you know, for, uh, you know, for the sacred feminine, if you will, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, because yeah. people you know people could commune directly with deity mm-hmm. you know they didn't need some they didn't need an intermediary and anyway uh Perfect. we're getting yes, off and topic that's what the here. medicines can do <laughs> no this is yeah. this is this is central this is great i wish we had all afternoon karen because i'd love to discuss you know there's so much even just in that last little bit you said that could you know lead into really important uh issues about what we're dealing with now yeah all right. Well, we do have to take a break, and but we'll we'll come back to this and we'll decide where we're going to take, uh, uh, you know, we, where we're going to take the conversation moving forward. But uh, hold on there, Stephen, and um, mm-hmm. because uh, I have a word from Joe Carson for uh, listeners. Hello, let me say a few things about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of Earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. Here is Drusilla Pettibone on Dearmist.com. I was truly touched and even awed by the film. I really appreciate that there is so much substantive information to digest. For example... The info about henges and tracing the horizon line is all new to me and totally fascinating. The film was very beautiful, and I was amazed 
Howard was able to capture so many of the descriptions visually and seamlessly connect vintage footage with modern. I especially loved when images were dynamically superimposed on each other, like the lace with the water and the dancing in the flowering meadow. A visual feast and with so many layers. I am also pleased to have been introduced to Monica Shu and her work. It's so important for pagans to become aware of our heritage. It seems easily lost among so many new books, and the film really brought me home in a new way. Dancing with Gaia is available at dancingwithgaia.com. DVD, Dancing with Gaia, comes packaged with a 45-page color mini book, uh, which goes even deeper into the material. And you can buy the DVD and booklet for only $9.95 at dancingwithgaia.com. So um, I am here with Stephen Gray. We're talking about his uh, anthology uh, that's out, and it's called uh, How Psychedelics Can Help Save the World. And um, uh, Stephen, let's go ahead and continue our conversation. We were talking mm-hmm. about the controllers, and um, uh, what, what mm-hmm. were your thoughts to continue that conversation? Sure, yeah. Well, again, um, you know, <clears throat> I, have a, I have a book from way back when, with this, strangely enough, called The Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment. Um, and uh, he said, um, this fellow said, uh, here's, here's how the world works, or here's how the universe works. Everything you say goes, but only for you and those you can get to believe the same thing you do, right, or convince, right? So that's mm-hmm. what I meant earlier about how people think, you know, um, just having a certain belief yourself isn't, isn't enough to convince you that you're safe, um, uh, typically. So you try to control everybody else, and you tell them it's like this. And then, oh, okay, now we all sort of feel this, see the world this way, so I'm okay. You know, I can relax now, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's what the controls are doing. But the other thing I wanted to comment on um, in terms of what you said, uh, you know, like the priests maybe not necessary and all that, well, I'd say that, uh, you know, uh, people who do understand how to work with, uh, you know, how to communicate to people uh, will always be necessary, priests, priestesses, whatever. Um, but the relationship to that is what's, what's got to change so much, you know, as you say, patriarchal, um, people giving away their power to others, not using their own intelligence. You know, I think this is the great revolution that is happening and has to happen on this planet now is the revolution of under- realizing we all are, uh, in Buddhist terms, Buddha by nature. Buddha, the word, just means awake. It translates from the Sanskrit as awake. Um, and it just, this is what we all are at the core. And so we have our own intelligence for um, uh, discrimination, intelligent discrimination, for example, um, you know, and so we don't need to give away our power to authority figures or influencers that way, unless we feel that they make sense. So it's like, it's like the revolution is, 
is um, embracing and recognizing and developing our spidey sense, so to speak, you know, Mm -hmm. um, our intuition, our ability to feel things without having to overlay it with a concept like, oh, I believe that, you know, only this should be allowed. No, that's just a belief. That's just a thought in your head. But we can feel mm-hmm. our way into intelligence. And and the other thing, if I may, on that theme, uh, <clears throat> one of the chapters in the How Psychedelics Can Help Save the World book is by an Australian Aboriginal visionary named uh, Tyson Yunkaporta. And he says, in Aboriginal society, there is no central control. He said there are authorities, but authority is a natural organic thing that's earned, and people respect that because you, you learn from other people who are farther along the path or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he mm-hmm. said those authorities in Aboriginal society don't have much power, right? So he said where we need to be going is toward what he calls a heterarchical society rather than a hierarchical society. And, for example, um, I've read a lot about Native Americans that traditionally, yeah, they would, they would follow leaders, but only if they made sense, you know, and yeah. they liked them. If they thought that person was full of, you know, whatever, or, you know, corrupt or, you know, whatever, abusing their power, they could just as easily walk away from that person or, you know, go follow another person that they thought made sense or just do their own thing. And I think that's the revolution that's happening and needs to happen on the planet is that we can live, yeah. uh, you know, you, you said maybe, you know, we'd fall in, there's a danger of chaos, like what replaces it? Well, I don't think there's a problem with that. I think as people calm down and open up, then more and more intelligence will come into it. And it's one of the sort of central themes of the, of the change is that um, collective intelligence now becomes, in a sense, the new priest, even, you might say, right? Um, right, that right. We, that we are connected to each other. We can work together. We can build a dream together, as it were. Well, and, and, I, and I like that concept, and, uh, but let me play devil's advocate here, and, because I really would, oh, yeah. uh, I, I wonder what, what the answer would be. And uh, I'll say, you know, two examples. Um, I had a good uh-huh. friend who grew, grew up in an evangelical family, and he uh-huh. uh, grew away from that, uh, you know, as he became more educated. But he offered some interesting insight into his brother and people who, you know, we're still, uh, you know, following the evangelical faith. And, you know, and he said um, he came to realize that they really didn't want to think for themselves. You know, they wanted exactly. uh, the, guy, the guy in the pulpit to make mm-hmm. things easier. You know, it's almost as if they yes. wanted, you know, that they wanted to relinquish their critical thinking, their their responsibility to make decisions, you know, so they follow the strong mm-hmm. man, you know, or they follow, mm-hmm. you know, the guy in the pulpit or whoever. So there's that to contend with. And then, um, you know, talk, talking about filling the void, filling the vacuum that might be, uh, you know, that, that might manifest. I mean, you look at all the people who don't use critical thinking and who are following these ideas of QAnon, you know, that Michael Jackson and JFK mm-hmm. and Elvis, you know, they're all real and they're going to appear in a stadium and blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, it's kind of worrying to think that with so many people off the rails, um, could we Mm -hmm. be sure that, um, 
uh, you know, the, the the people with real wisdom would would prevail. If, does, does, is that a, does that make sense? Oh, yeah. No, I was, for most of what you just said, I was thinking, well, that doesn't sound like devil's advocacy. I, I, I think that's true. So the, the, advocate, the devil's advocacy part came in right at the end there. Yeah, like where, what, how, I, I don't think there's any guarantee that we're, gonna, we're going to, you know, birth a new beautiful world, certainly not in the near future. And I think, quite honestly, that's why... <clears throat> Um, anyone who can, and, you know, I'm trying to be humble about this, just it's a small contribution, but that's what this book is for, um, is to, uh, and, and many other people that are doing that, this is my particular way of being involved in it. There's lots of other ways to be involved in it, but to educate. Um, so, for example, um, <clears throat> there's, um, I think it goes way back to William Blake, but um, Terence McKenna sort of modernized the phrase, and it's something I, I, I repeat to myself with some frequency, and that is, <clears throat> if the truth can be told in a way so that it can be understood, it will be believed. Okay. So the point mm-hmm. about that is that you just you don't we don't know what's going to happen, but um, there's no other functional attitude or approach to take than to believe that. Um, Ultimately, underneath all of the, the, the chaos and the turmoil and the confusion on this planet, there is wisdom. There is unconditional reality. And so regardless of the likelihood of it manifesting, certainly in our lifetimes, then the only sane, kind, um, you know, functional attitude to take is to um, – do your own healing to the extent that you need to, to be able to be clear and um, uh, in what you're doing and participate in that uh, with a vision, with a prayer in your heart, so to speak, you know, um, because we don't know where it's going. And in fact, uh, one of my favorite visionaries, and that's why I gave him chapter one, essentially, in the book is Chris Bache, who um, I, I always feel like I have to give a little context to make it make sense, but he's a retired university professor from Ohio State University who during his career undertook what turned out to be a 20-year journey of 73 high-dose LSD sessions done carefully uh, at home with a sitter um, and eye shades and uh, carefully uh, created a music playlist and then transcribing everything very thoroughly the next day. And basically what Chris came back with, you know, he said every, every single session, he went through a very difficult first couple of hours of letting go of the dying of the identity of the self, the ego, et cetera, et cetera. And then because he was, for whatever reason, his particular life abilities was able to um, stay with that and not run screaming, you know, to the hospital, um, he did allow himself to die out of that individual identity. And then he said he came out into what he calls the vast intelligences of the universe, uh, which is a little bit what you were talking or asking about earlier about the talking plants. LSD is not a plant per se. So it wasn't entities so much as it was downloads of information. And especially in the latter third or so of that 20-year period, he started to get increasingly clear messages over and over again that we are entering into what he calls a death and rebirth cycle on this planet. And that it could look really bad 
for a lot of things on the material level for who knows how long. He didn't get timelines. It's not like 2012 or any of this, right? It's like this could be going on for decades um, uh, as the old way falls apart, that it has to. There can't possibly be a healing without the um, dissolution of dysfunctional you know, ways of being on the planet. I know it's a big vision. I know it's idealistic in a way. But people like Chris and many others are saying it is possible. Uh, and that's why we you know, have to have that attitude that I was just talking about, as many of us can, uh, as can, right? So um, mm-hmm. it could, in fact, you know, as things become increasingly destabilized, which seems inevitable at this point, not least because of the climate itself, right? Um, mm-hmm. Even if it's just the climate and nothing else, that's going to be enough to throw us off our game uh, in a dramatic way, I'm sure. Um, but as that happens, that what I was talking about earlier, and you've alluded to it as well, that sense of uh, you know grasping for control, grasping for safe places, you know, grasping for um, you know uh, dangerous uh, um, you know demagogues, you know, etc. Um, uh, that's that need that out of fear will be increasing, I think, over these next periods of time. And so it's all the more important that, you know, those of us that can stay present, that can keep our hearts open, that can run with the changes, um, participate in uh, sharing that vision. If the truth can be told in a way that so as to be understood, it will be believed. And, and so this is, <clears throat> I'll just end with this, if I may. Um, there is a vision that uh, I, I was one person, only just one of a number, but one person who has personally shared that vision with me was a man who was like a wisdom elder in the Native American church, um, who, uh, uh, whose um, meetings I sat in many times. And um, he said that uh, he and some of his uh, associates, so to speak, had had this vision that there will kind of come a moment where the believability, the plausibility, the comfort factor, the, the uh, source of, of, of comfort or whatever, of the current way things are done on the planet will have um, deteriorated enough that there will be um, an opening for this new vision and that if it can be communicated, you know, this is the part of what I was just saying, that saying, you know, if it mm-hmm. can be communicated to people, it will make sense because the old way isn't making sense and it's false and it's, it's harmful essentially. Right. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> I get it. Well, you know, um, it, and, uh, I, I believe, uh, you know, you said earlier in the show, the need for optimism, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I think everything you've just described, um, uh, you know, goes back to that point, the need for optimism. Um, you know, I, I, I have a friend who I think has moments of genius and, you know, she always says to me, she says, Karen, there's no point in worrying about everything. Everything is happening perfectly just the way it's supposed to, you know. And um, mm-hmm. so often I've, I've found her to be true, you know, and, uh, you know, finding the gifts and the challenges. Well, mm-hmm. um Stephen, um, I, I feel like I, I do have to, um, you know, have a, uh, you know, have you talk a little bit about the cautions and dangers of using the substances uh-huh. just as a point of responsibility. Um, so, can you speak to that a little bit before we run out of time? 
Sure. Well, first of all, um, they're not toxic. Um, there are a couple of, of the um, uh, semi-synthetic ones like MDMA that you have to be a little bit careful with sometimes. Uh, Iboga, um, when it's in its, psycho- in its um, psychoactively uh, isolated alkaloid form called ibogaine, uh, uh, it, it is extremely powerful and has to be dealt with very careful- carefully. But, you know, in general, psilocybin has no level of toxicity that means anything, and neither does peyote, and neither does LSD, neither does San Pedro cactus, um, and so on. These are safe that way. Um, but they are reality medicines. And we are so attached to this identity that I spoke about earlier that for many of us, that's very threatening to, you know, to, uh, to let go of that. It's, it's actually terrifying. It, it actually feels like death. You know, Terrence McKenna, some great spiritual philosopher guy said, you know, it's like we're, uh, I think it's an old Irish thing. It's called uh, saying uh, whistling past the graveyard. It's like you're walking along, if you could make it into a visual metaphor, you're walking along a little road, off to the left is this graveyard, and you're not looking there because you don't want to know that it's death. And what the death means is the death of this false self, right? But it's the opening up into the awakened self that's potential beyond that. But we don't want to go there, so we are afraid of it. And if you take a psychedelic, especially a higher-dose psychedelic, in a, in a careless environment, I mean, even if you do it in a safe environment, you may still have that experience, but ideally the person or people that are with you are going to help you go through that. Like in the Johns Hopkins work that I mentioned earlier, they, that, um, <clears throat> for the end-of-life patients, they say if, if mm-hmm. fear comes up, don't buy into any story about it. Just keep breathing and it will change. You know, you're going it, – it, these are loving, um, you know, guides, if you will, in that sense, these medicines. But if you don't do them carefully, um, uh, just on your own or whatever, and you take a large dose, uh, you may be terrified by, uh, by uh, you know, this fact that they'll, they'll suddenly show you that what you thought was yourself doesn't actually exist. I, I had a friend from way back when who <clears throat> changed her life completely in one day because of that. She had that experience where she thought, everything I'm doing is phony. So she just ditched everything she'd done and been doing up to then and went in a completely di- different direction, direction to try to control and avoid that recognition because she judged it, you know. So, uh, you know, it's really problematic for some people to do these powerful – they are power, they're the most powerful modalities we have on the planet, and that's why they're so important, but they need to be handled like you're dealing with highly flammable jet fuel or something, right? Right, right, because like you're saying, you know, say some highly religious person uh, who's totally invested in their religion has an experience, and they come out thinking, well, uh, my whole life was a sham, there is no God kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. somebody, if, if they're weak-minded, may go commit suicide or something like that. I mean, is, I, I mean, is yeah. that all, you know, way off the mark? Or? Well, I don't think that kind of thing happens very often because, for one thing, those people don't tend to be drawn to these things because they are so identified with their existing dogma, right? They're, you know, they, they, mm-hmm. they're so reliant on it. They don't want to know something else, right? You know, like these sort of evangel- yeah. evangelical or fundamental Christians who, um, who say, you know, that all other religions are, 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 are bull, 
you're right they're phony they're not real they might even be you know the work of the devil that's just a way to pr- try to protect yourself to think that like i said you know whatever you say goes but only for you and those you can get to believe in you and that's why these people go around trying to convince everybody that you know that my way is the, is the way right because they need yeah. that illusion that other people also believe what they do to make themselves feel safe um so no there isn't a lot of there aren't a lot of people who are you know, taking these substances and, and, you know, jumping off bridges, despite some of the scare stories of the 60s and 70s. Um, but again, that doesn't, you know, counteract the importance of uh, what is commonly known as set and setting. Set meaning your intention and everything you bring to the experience. And setting is, you know, the actual environment you take that medicine in. Um, so for most people, I would say it needs to be done very carefully they need to find places and people that they can trust, and that comes back to their spidey sense too. You know, like, you know, that uh, does this feel right? Does this feel good? Mm-hmm. You know, not just oh, gee, I have an opportunity here, you know, but actually paying attention. You know, like, do I trust that person? Do I feel okay with that person? Sort of idea. You mm-hmm. know, um, yeah. Because but let me ask you about addiction, though, Stephen. Uh, is is addiction an issue with any of these, or or that's not? You know, that's not one of the worries. No, absolutely not, except for one, um, and that is ketamine, which is a purely synthetic synthetic substance as far as I know. And it's an important player in this because it's legal for, um, you know, the properly certified uh, medical professionals such as doctors to administer it. Um, And uh, if you take, I'm told anyway, I have no experience personally with ketamine, uh, that if you if you were to use it a lot, it is a pharmaceutical drug in that sense and can be addictive. But I don't think people generally use it that way. But but you know LSD, um, peyote, psilocybin mushrooms, ayahuasca, these things are absolutely not addictive. There's no addict. They're anti-addictive, and in fact they're used a lot to help people see through why they are addicted to something else like alcohol or some other narcotic substance. Um, so they're anti-addictive in that sense, and they're yeah they're truly not addictive. It's not an issue, and most people uh, wouldn't be taking them enough to get addicted to them, even if they were addictive. You know, you you don't want to do a major ayahuasca journey every day. <laughs> it's impossible. Right, but, right. You know, <clears throat> yeah, it's just ridiculous. You know, so you know you take you yeah. take it maybe you know you in the right circumstances. You hopefully get some insights and lessons, some healing, and then you take that back to your daily life and you try to bring it into that. And they call it integration. Um, and then if, mm-hmm. and if you do that homework, so to speak, then maybe the next time you go back, that, that medicine says, kind of says to you in a sense, oh, I see you've done your homework. You've made some progress. Now I can show you this. Right. Right, I get it. Well, and and I don't know, I I keep thinking as we're talking, um, uh, I don't know, the safest way to uh, go through life is to realize uh, there's no certainty and we don't know anything about anything. You know, um, it it just kind of feels like when you're not living in a tight little box, um, it's Mm -hmm. it's certainly a lot easier to uh, avoid the fear and... um, you know, all the things that, that lead toward uh, the isms and all the rest. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think well, the most Stephen, important um, aspect of what you – oh, go ahead. Yeah. You, yeah, finish your thought. 
Oh, I think the most important aspect of all that is to realize that all of that stuff that makes us feel afraid and bad, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and the hate that you talked about earlier, they're all thoughts. They're all in our minds. But we have this whole other side of ourselves, which is the embodied, um, uh, you know, natural-born Buddha uh, uh, wisdom, you know. So we can feel our way through life. And we don't have to rely on these beliefs and concepts and dogmas that we've been, you know, trying to make ourselves feel comfortable and safe with all these years, you know. So they're just, they're illusions in that sense. So it's not that you can avoid fear, but when you see it, ideally, this is the practice, this is the work. You go, oh, that's the voice of fear. I'm not going to buy into it. So you let it go. And then maybe it comes back an hour later or two days later or a week later, and there it is again, and you just look at it. And, the, and the, the great mystics have been telling us for a couple of thousand years or more that when you do that, these things lose power, you know? Got it. It's like in the Wizard of Oz, right? You know, when they see behind the curtain. Oh, it's just a guy back there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, Stephen, I think we're going to have to wrap it up, uh, but I'll give you the last word here. Uh, was there anything else you uh, maybe wanted to impart that uh, – you know, we forgot to go there. Oh, um, I'm sure there were lots, uh, Karen. So um, I'd rather leave you with a, uh, your listeners with a, a lighthearted, um, uh, super brief anecdote. Um, uh, novelist Tom Robbins, uh, wonderful novelist, um, uh, one of his books was called uh, um, Fierce Invalids Home from Hot Climates. And in that uh, novel, <clears throat> uh, he would visit a friend who had um, like a uh, a, par- a large like jungle parrot parrot type you know bird sitting on a stand that was the first thing that anyone saw when it, when they walked into that person's place it was called Sailor the parrot and uh, Sailor uh, would speak to everyone who came in that door with the same thing every time people of the world relax. <laughs> Uh, good advice. Good advice from a bird. <laughs> well, well, Stephen, thank you, um, and best of luck for the book. And uh, I appreciate what Thanks you're trying much. to do to help us uh, help us evolve here. And listeners, uh, for Thanks. those of you who want to find Stephen, uh, his website is stephengrayvision.com, and it's uh, Stephen with a P-H and Gray with an A, so S-T-E-P-H-E-N-G-R-A-Y, uh, vision.com. His Facebook profile is Stephen Gray Vision. Well, Stephen, thank you uh, for coming on the show twice and, um, you know, giving us the opportunity to explore this subject because I do think it's uh, it's a very important one for our evolution. Mm-hmm. Yes, and well, thank you very much for your interest and, and your um, sort of sympathetical understanding of these issues as well, Karen. Okay. All right. Well, um, you keep in touch, and uh, when your next book comes out, you make sure you reach out to me, okay? Okay, sure. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. All right. So we ran a little bit late, but that's okay. Uh, We had a good conversation, and uh, I'm just going to wrap up with a reminder that the four previous weeks, uh, I hope you'll go back to the episodes, uh, because if you didn't know, we were covering uh, Carol Crisp essay, uh, Why Women Need the Goddess, and the four reasons uh, that they might turn to goddess. 
Uh, one was the affirmation and the legitimization of female power as beneficent. The second one uh, was the affirmation of the female body and its life cycles. The third was the affirmation of women's will. And the fourth was the affirmation of women's bonds with one another and their positive female heritage. Uh, so please do, do go back and catch those episodes um, if you have any questions about how to find them. Uh, you can always reach out to me. Uh, but the show is on all the usual podcast places, Apple, Spotify, um, you know, Google Podcasts, all the rest. Or you can actually just go to uh, blogtalk.com and uh, in the search uh, box put in Voices of the Sacred Feminine, and there you will find an archive of all our past shows. So um, I will leave listeners uh, with one of my uh, favorite quotes, um, and uh, I think I'll share this one. It was from novelist Monique Wittig, and she said, there was a time when you were not a slave. Remember that. You walked alone, full of laughter. You bathed bare-bellied. You say you have lost all recollection of it. Remember. You say there are not words to describe it. You say it does not exist. But remember, make an effort to remember or failing that, invent. Okay, uh, that does it for me today. I hope you'll be back with me next Wednesday at 11 o'clock Pacific or later from the archives at your convenience. Uh, my guest is going to be Heather Mendel, and we're going to be talking about uh, divination, oracle cards, uh, and the Kabbalah. Uh, so thank you very much, and I'll close uh, with uh, um, Sethnet. Mm-hmm.